Hey everybody, welcome back to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 636, being recorded on July 7, 2021. I'm Sebastian Peek. I'm Jeremy Halstrom. I'm Josh Walworth. I'm going to be Brett tonight. Okay. And you can subscribe to find out when we go live for events like this at pcper.com slash subscribe. Join our mailing list and the party the live streaming action that you've missed you can also go to patreon.com slash pcper and support the site the podcast us we appreciate it do very, we have a new patron much. brett in fact we do um i believe it's uh some would say the first patron really um this uh patron's name is spectacularly adam just adam oh forever referred to him as first first patron uh, the very first not patron. that. Yes, in the beginning yeah. there was Adam, and he contributed in the beginning, to the per patron. Patreon. That is exactly what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much, Adam. Now, the reason you contributed, no doubt, was this very next segment, the most important segment of the week. Mm-hmm. We visit Josh in Laramie, Wyoming, camera two. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, hang on. Oh, oh, oh. Is so the, uh, the burger. What? Has your wife got Skyrim paused on the back there? No, it's a it's a it's a bear walking through a forest. Oh, and it's, okay. Uh, it's an active desktop, okay. whatever you call it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So no, it, that'd be kind of funny if my wife actually played Skyrim. Sadly, she does not. Okay, now this is a little bit of a step away from what we usually have as a special. This is the Route 66 burger. So I, you know, you've got some pretty groovy music that you can you can put to this. So this is a layered cheeseburger. And by layers I mean they put different stuff at different places and have it all separated by the patties. So it starts off the top of the bun and then pickles, then yellow mustard and uh, American cheese with white onions that were slightly caramelized because Lorash wanted to know that. Here's the second patty. And under that is more American cheese, white onion, and uh, finally the bun. And so it's, it's it, it doesn't look like much in the picture. It's a little squished and they're two ounce patties rather than uh, four ounce. So, you know, instead of a half pound, it's, it's like, you know, getting, getting a Big Mac. You got quarter pound of, of of meat in there and it's it's not as filling as uh the other stuff but it is tasty it's very much a classic cheeseburger uh without any ketchup and so you've got that good yellow mustard flavor going in there and and they've they've you know layered everything in between the the different patties and the buns and so it isn't just one layer of stuff you always seem to have a different amount of of of, of onions and, and and pickles and and you know splotches of, of yellow mustard, and so uh, yeah, it uh, it was a satisfying burger. Not their greatest, and certainly not terribly original, but it was a a different presentation of a classic, and uh, therefore it was it was quite good. Thank you for clearing that up because I read the board and I got quite worried because it said pickles, yellow mustard, American, white onions, two ounce patty. It, it doesn't imply it's cheese. It sort of implies that it was just an American in there. Yeah, yeah, no, no it was it was American cheese. Okay, as a Canadian, but, it's, it's, uh, didn't it? Maybe it was way. made by an American. I don't know. It's a cheese-like product. Yeah, the oil yes. 
the oil cheese, like American Singles? Is that what it was, or was it yeah. real? Yep. Is it cheddar? Yeah, uh, you know, there's, there's, there is a time and a place for American cheese, and sometimes I don't there is because there is a the time and a place. It's when you're six years old. Content. <laughs> yeah. Blow me. I mean, typically I, I like cheddar, <laughs> but uh, you know what? Sometimes you gotta expand your horizons. Mm-hmm. Or go back in time to an era when you had no choice but to eat what was served. Yeah, well. I'll tell you what, if, if if I could go back to being eight years old. Would you? You'd have all this again. Yeah. yeah. Really? Eight? That's the age you would pick. Sure. Eight. Well, I mean, if I was given a choice, it was like, do you want to go back in time and be eight years old? I'd be like, sure. It's not like somebody said, hey, you can go back in time. What age do you want to be? In that case, I'd maybe choose 18 or 19. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So you can skip second puberty? Microsoft mm. issues emergency Windows patch for print printers of the devil nightmare. What is yeah, print, print nightmare? And you know what the best part about this is? The patch doesn't work. There's still workarounds. With the print. <laughs> oh great! Oh no! What do you mean? Oh no! Yeah. Yes, this other link. The print nightmare continues. Oh yeah. Vulnerable code in all versions of Windows. Well, they didn't uh, send out a patch for Windows 11, actually. Sorry. Or NT, for that matter, upsettingly. But they did patch uh, Windows 7, by the way. They did yeah. send out a patch and for that. Server 2003. Um, and there are certain other fixes that do come with the patch. So even though they said, hey, we're not going to patch the particular operating systems ever again, uh, extenuating circumstances. All right, so short version, what do we do right now? Unplug all oh, your you printers, sh- never use them again. Just is it network yeah. connected printers or is it any printer? All printers. <laughs> I think, everywhere. <laughs> it's the print sharing mechanism, if I'm yes. not mistaken. So if you have a locally uh, connected printer and you're resharing it using a Windows printer yeah. sharing service, yeah, oh, shut that crap okay. off. I feel like that's Or you, you fired it up on a network and yeah. you've set it up so that people can uh, connect to that printer and not be able to worry about installing the driver manually. Hmm. Yeah, then you're hooped. Now, the, the funny thing about the background about this particular one is it wasn't necessarily the bad guys, all right? It was actually the good guys who figured this out. White Hats figured this problem out and then accidentally released it too soon, thinking, I don't even know what they were thinking. But anyway, they put out a proof of concept that ended up on GitHub, of all places, and the bad guys picked it up and just ran with it. And they, they tried to pull it back, and it was just it was way too late. It's the internet. What are you going to do? Microsoft says that it was a miscommunication. They clearly communicated to the White Hats that they were not yet ready to have it revealed. Whereas the White right. Hats are like, yeah, what email? So, yeah. It's, I, it, there I, was I thought a I read somewhere. something like they, Microsoft had told them like, oh, yeah, we're good on this. You can talk about it now. When in reality, mm-hmm. yeah, they were not. So The next yeah. story, Intel erased all the market share gains AMD CPUs made this year. Nearly three out of four CPUs on the Steam hardware survey are Intel chips. What's BS about this? I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to read the article. question? No, it's... Steam hardware surveys are very heavily influenced by internet cafes. And I think every time you log in... Say the one person leaves, the next person logs in. Don't they get a, another count on that configuration? Yeah. 
if it's a different Steam account, then right. uh, and they've said yes to scanning it, then yeah. So it's like, okay, uh, Intel, and then log out, log in, Intel, Intel, Intel. Because a lot of those machines are based on like like a uh, small form factor or all-in-one like Intel systems with a with some sort of GPU and it'll be a GTX 1060 <laughs> probably because that's the number one GPU still it is that was my point but I, I was or just I mean, reading the other day that it's like 80% or more of all CPUs sold to enthusiasts it's become even more than that are rising well you're, you're also not talking about change. You're talking about total market. And yes, Intel's total market share, especially of the stuff that no one's upgraded in a while, is probably floating around there. What we've been talking about is the change after the last couple of generations of Ryzen that AMD's share has increased significantly and is accelerating. So yeah, by saying that uh, the person that used to have 85, 90% of the market shares erase their lead by still holding three quarters of it. Yeah, it's it's a great headline. I wouldn't use it myself. But, you know, we also have to kind of look at the last three quarters um, when, you know, AMD released the, the Ryzen 5000. And that was the hot chip to get. I mean, until recently, the 5600X has not been available except for certain drops happening now and then now it's it's widely available now the 5800x is is widely available uh but the two you know crown of crown jewels 5900 and the 5950 they have not been and so if you kind of look at enthusiasts you can kind of see what you know what what maybe some people were thinking and this is just speculation but someone's buying a computer someone's building one it's like hey what's available that i can build myself all these AMD processors, and really up until February, even the 3000 series AMD processors were in short supply. And so it's it's not a shock that a lot of people ended up buying like a 10400K or a 10.6 or a 10.7. 10.700 10.7 was a fantastic part, and the 10.8 was, was a really nice um, jump up from the 7, but not, you know, getting close to the 900. And those were widely available for months and months and months and months. And now we've got the 11 series that's, again, pretty widely available. I mean, we're, we're not seeing shortages of either of the Intel CPU generations here. And they've got plenty of motherboards out there. And if you were going to buy something, you know, from October through March to April, and if you really wanted an AMD, you'd have to wait for any of them. And I mean, how many people, if they know that they're going to buy a new machine and they're going to get an AMD part, how many would go back to a 3000 series knowing that a 5000 series is out there and it had all this extra performance, much more efficient, all of these things, you know, higher memory, uh, um, speed, you know, the stuff enthusiasts really like. And they have a choice between that and a similarly priced Intel 10,000 series or 11,000 series, and you could actually buy it. And so I think, you know, those enthusiasts and those who actually do the Steam um, survey, are, are they may be more along that line than, you know, just a regular customer because you can still buy the, uh, you know, go on to Newegg and with their, I can't remember the, the name of their their built-in brand, but, I mean, there's, there's a ton of reasonably priced, 
Um, AMD 3000 series usually bundled with, you know, NVIDIA 3000 series, whether it's a 3060 or a 3070, um, there's a lot of them under $2,000. And so, yeah, I don't know. But there's a lot of Intel 10,000 series for mm-hmm. from uh, from Newegg as well that are bundled with good cards that you just can't get by themselves. So, what do you what do you think the presence of the iGPU might have had on Intel sales? Probably significantly <coughs> positive because you could not buy, and you still can't buy, any of the higher end AMD integrated parts. So AMD with uh, you know the Ryzen with uh, Vega, uh, you're looking at uh, what a thirty four hundred for about two hundred and thirty bucks, which is yeah. If you could find it, that that one yeah. was a tough one to and find. And that's insane. And so yeah, people who want to at least have you know graphics on their board, uh, you're not going to get it with you know a three thousand or a five thousand series regular AM four AMD. Um, because those don't have any graphics whatsoever. So yeah, you yeah, that's a great point. Uh, every Intel chip comes with a 600 series graphics, and the new stuff with the XE, Z XI, yeah. XE anyway, XE. XE. Yeah, so you, you and, couldn't even uh, do function testing, you know, on on your on your GPU less uh, yeah. Zen build. Yeah, why are we acting? So you just have like to go back to your Xbox, or your PlayStation. Why are we acting like enthusiasts don't have some old GPU on hand that they could plug in to do this? Not because it's a it's an interesting thought experiment. Just throw out there and wonder kind of what effect it's it might an interesting have on pro Intel thought experiment. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> some but of us can't is, afford the wooden I dish racks like, to keep them all on. I've, it's an I've excellent segue any into the next story. Garbage PCI Express cards that weren't even worth the trouble of trying to sell, and nobody that I knew wanted one. If I was just going to give it away, like a are you talking down my GT seven ten again? Is that what you're doing? Like a Radeon twenty four hundred HD or whatever that old series was, like a half height card that's crap, but would at least give you a display, something like that. Like I feel like people would have something to use, and you can actually still buy like a seven ten or a seven thirty. For less than hundred dollars, but I, I have not talked to anybody who was building a new system with anything but Ryzen, and it's, I, I feel like you have to have a special reason to be building Intel anymore, until they have a new architecture and better performance. Reason or hatred? Most of the people I know that are going Intel this generation are because they always do because they recall a conversation on a bulletin board back in the uh, 90s about how AMD was horrible. Right. Well, it's not even that. I mean, okay, if, if you've messed with the Ryzen 1000 and 2000 series, yeah, okay. There are issues that pop up, especially when it comes to memory speed and and, you know, some other functionality. And a lot of those didn't go away until the 3000 series. And even then, there was a few niggling little issues that some people had. But the 5000 series has pretty much corrected all of that. I mean, it's a really solid thing. And sure, with the X570 uh, USB 2.0 issues, that's one thing. But uh, in terms of CPU, these really are some of the best CPUs that AMD has ever, ever put out. Um, the other ones that I would consider to be pretty good would be uh, the Phenom 2 with the 890 FX chipset. That was pretty bulletproof overall. 
and plus they had set a six support well before Intel. And uh, yeah, those were, those were, that was about the previous really good one that we had. And now with the 3000 improving a lot over the 2000 and 1000 and then the 5000 just kind of blowing everything away. Yeah, exactly. You look at any YouTube or traditional review online and it's AMD at the top of almost every... I can't think of any chart where AMD wouldn't be on top. And it used to be Intel could at least claim... Octane benchmarks. Okay. So... <laughs> or, there's they one. lead in their own proprietary ABX2. Yes. Okay, yeah, ABX there's two. Two proprietary. Intel is, Intel is the king of AVX512. Uh, but if you look at gaming, I couldn't believe this when I tested it myself, but a 5800X blowing away the 11900K, the 10900K, and just not even, it wasn't even close. Ultra high frame rate, low resolution, low detail settings, gaming, used to be the way you could easily show the advantage of Intel to the tune of like 20% over Ryzen in the first generation. And it, sh- it shrunk a little bit, but now it's like the other way around. You're gaining big FPS numbers by going on the Ryzen platform. It's crazy. So it's just, and, and Intel, I know that, I, at least my own feeling is, I don't care that much about power. I know it looks really bad on a chart to say, Intel's using 100 watts more from the wall. Okay, if I'm an enthusiast and I have an 850 watt power supply and I still have headroom, I don't care. But... Yeah, but in the, the peak of summertime, when you have to turn off your air conditioner because the electric company are telling you to cut things back. Exactly. <laughs> Some people have air conditioners. Maybe not you, Jeremy. Well, they, he, nope. he doesn't need it. Usually Vancouver doesn't need them. I did. Well, we were well over 100 freaking Fahrenheit last week. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it Tunisia. might be next week as it well. Was, yeah. But still, I'm, I'm, uh, it, you know, this time you, they'll be able to say it's the second time it's ever happened. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Josh. <laughs> but if, but if, you're, if you're in a situation like that, where you don't live in Laramie, Wyoming, where it rarely gets above 85, um, it becomes an issue. It throw on an extra 100 watts of heat into your environment sure. it gets your attention pretty quick if you walk in there and you're gaming for five hours and you come out and you're just drenched in sweat and it's like you know what maybe i should get a cooler processor but then i'm gonna pair it with a 3090 uh, yeah 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 i'll do that it runs at 350 watts no at least yeah peak is a lot higher but anyway um yeah, I don't, I don't want to... I guess I have nothing else to say. Except, you don't want to belabor the point? No, except that, speaking of Ryzen, the fastest Ryzen with Vega graphics is the Ryzen 7 5700G. Tom's Hardware got their hands on one, ran it through their iGPU test suite, and we can look at some of the results. It's a are. stormer. Here we are, uh, the first game. Well, this is a geo-mean. Okay, this is a, the result of all the tests. This is, boils down to this. The Ryzen 7 5700G on a B550 platform. So 720p now, mind so this you. This is ultra-low ultra resolutions here at 1280 by 720, but 84.7 frames per second. Next closest, an HP system with the same processor. The 4750G Ryzen 7 Pro, 78.7 frames per second. The 3400G, the previous 
um, high-end APU that co- consumers could actually buy, 70 frames per second. And then the next one down is the Intel with the XE graphics, the i7-11700K, 49.5 frames per second. So it's a, it's a huge drop-off before you get to the first Intel CPU. And a Core i5-10600K, which when it launched was a great CPU for gaming, that generation like versus Zen 2, only 31.3 frames per second with that older graphics architecture. So, it, I mean, it's not hard to figure out when you start looking at these individual... Well, let's see. Let's 1080 results. That's there's a few in here. really yeah. going to stand out. Like, let's look at that 10600 again at the bottom of the chart. 18.7 frames per second across the board at 1080, the average. 54.4 for the 5700G. We're into legitimate gaming territory here. If only they have, I could buy a 5700G. I know, but it, you in, can't buy a maybe GPU Maybe at the end of either, this summer. But I know. Yeah, yeah, it looks like in a couple of weeks um, or just a few weeks. I'm into the Geomean. Okay, anyway. They, they have, read the Tom's Hardware article if you want to see the individual games breakdown. But my only issue with this is that the price went up so significantly from the 3400G to... The 5700G. And they didn't have a Ryzen 7 APU before. I get it. The Ryzen 5 APU this time around is less expensive, but it's still, what, $240? And the Ryzen 7 5700G is $359. It's a, it is an 8-core, 16-thread CPU, but so, yeah. it is not performance comparable to the 5800. No, it has a lot it's, less It's cash. behind it. Yeah, it's, it's, a mo- it's, it's definitely it's like the mobile it. version. It's the monolithic die versus the chiplet mm-hmm. design on desktop. But still, I mean, if you, you could... Know, okay, going on a segue, yeah. I'm still kind of shocked that AMD has not done a chiplet strategy with integrated graphics rather than a monolithic die. There must be something with chiplets that is not copacetic with the GPU. Because you'd think that would be knock it out of the park easy and increase your yields and bins and not have a large monolithic die, but instead having the IO chiplet on a separate process that you can optimize perfectly for that. And then your CPU on one and GPU on another, they've never done that. That was the promise for a long time using the infinity fabric to be able to get those two different things together in a chiplet type structure, but it's never happened yet. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure why, and maybe somebody should ask AMD. Maybe it's a cost thing. I mean, those the Vega Eight is it still GCN? Really? It, yeah, it's it's practically free. You know, there's it's they know it's going to work. It's a very well understood. Yeah, but why didn't not just then put it in a chiplet, and you don't have to have a memory uh, oh, controller? Sure. All you do is okay. you 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 connect it all via Infinity Fabric, and your memory controller is the I/O chip that. Uh, you know, services the CPU at the same time, and you just have interrupts in there and FIFO buffers and all kinds of fun things. And mm-hmm. yeah, they've never done that. I don't know why. All right, uh, moving on to a story that I posted. Just I know it's not really PC hardware, but it's interesting. I mean, there's Nvidia Tegra involved, but do you remember people E3's? like your OLEDs? Yeah, people yeah. like OLEDs. People like Nintendo. Remember yeah. at E3 when everybody was not just convinced there was going to be a Switch Pro, but it was being widely reported as fact, and there were just some minor debates about the actual capabilities of this new 4K DLSS version of the Switch. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't get anything. 
And now a month later, and it, surprise, Nintendo has a little video, and they're going to release the new Switch. So what is it? The all new. Well, oh, ignore the, the ignore the yeah the white color scheme for the Joy Cons here. It's the same thing, but instead of a do they still point, taste bad? I don't know. I think it was the cartridges mm. actually. Mm. Instead of a six point two inch LCD, in did, the same did Ian eat one? <laughs> in the same space, they're putting a seven-inch OLED. <clears throat> I'm being a little salty here because there are some Nintendo faithful. I was reading some of the comments sections and one uh, Discord group I'm a part of. They're just all about it. Like, I can't wait for the new Switch. I'm buying it day one kind of attitude. Like, are you serious? Because the behavior of most people with the non-Switch light, correct me if I'm wrong, is to keep it in its dock about three quarters to 100% of the time and use your TV as the display. And what is the upgrade here if the only thing that's changed is the display that you're never going to see because it's behind a better, plastic shroud? Better, better battery life? Nope. Exact same if battery. Mobile? Exact same message. Well, you'd think that OLED would give you a little bit better. Uh, but OLED consumes, it's bigger. consumes more power it's than. Standard oh, batteries, I thought, but I thought OLED was slightly. I, there's this um, misunderstanding. We should. I don't know if this is worth even talking about. I have heard this now from multiple sources. My OLED TV consumes quite a bit of power because if all the pixels are on, it's sucking down the power. And okay. the brighter you have the screen, the more power it draws. But yeah, but on your phone, you got many black backgrounds. Unless you know. <laughs> yeah, if if you're if you manage OLED well. And this was a concern when OLED laptops first hit the scene. I know Alan did a review of a Lenovo laptop that had an OLED display, I think, years ago. We first saw it at CES in like 2016. And yeah. it, you had to manage power. You had to use black backgrounds and dark color schemes. And this was before dark mode on things. So it, it makes a lot more sense on phones where a lot of them have OLED screens. But on like an iPhone, for instance, there's, you know, and on Android, there's dark mode. And almost everything has that darker... So it's just using less battery power to display the same stuff. Anyway. Well, but it was counterintuitive to a lot because with most uh, TN and uh, other monitors like IPS, the blacks use more energy because you're maintaining the electrics to make sure that everything's being blocked, the backlight's being blocked. Right, okay. yeah. yeah. Make it fully, fully OLED. It's a twist. Yeah, as well as OLED, it's the... A pneumatic twist. Maybe because they're, using, they're probably using Emitted, AMOLED. It's probably a... Um, <laughs> It's probably using a pentile pattern. Who knows? I doubt it's RGB stripe. So it might be significantly more efficient if they're using that shared green subpixel and stuff. But anyway, the, the capabilities are the same. Eurogamer ended up doing a, a thing about it, and people were sourcing the Verge because the Verge reached out to Nintendo. Nintendo confirmed, no, it's the same hardware. Uh, the only thing that changed was the, the OLED panel and the fact that they're upping the internal storage to 64 instead of 32 gigabytes. The only other change that they mentioned was the the flip stand on the back, which is a copy of the Microsoft Surface kickstand now. And when the other one was a terrible, flimsy piece of crap. So that's a good upgrade. And then the dock itself loses the USB port because it gains some sort of USB to network interface bridge chip because there's like an Ethernet port on the side of it now. But it's all via USB. Anyway, my point is that this is kind of a weird product in the story that I put up because it you are paying... For a four-year-old console that has not had a price drop yet, 
whereas previous Nintendo consoles always dropped price after like three years. So it's it's three forty nine for this OLED version. The standard version is still two ninety nine, still available. There, it's all the family here. The standard Switch three hundred, the OLED Switch three fifty, and the Switch Lite at one ninety nine. So comparing. The switch light to this, this is 75% more expensive for something that you have to kind of, I don't know. It's just, it's weird to me. When I bought my N64 in 1999, it was 99 bucks. It had launched three years earlier at 199. So it's kind of the way this works. Nintendo had, didn't have to do anything last year. They sold every switch they could make. Sales Mm -hmm. were unprecedented because of COVID. And now, here, instead of a price drop, here's a, the screen upgrade we should have probably provided two years ago for $50 more. Yeah, and but the software, same, man. The, I know the software, but still, it's the Breath same. Breath of the Wind, man. Breath of the Wild, yes. The Wild. It's the 16 the wild. nanometer Tegra X1, which means that those rumors Beast earlier this year that were unverified anonymous source rumors to some Australian publication, I think, that X1 has been discontinued by NVIDIA. Obviously not, because Nintendo is still producing new consoles every day, and they have a new revision of it using the same chip. So, More exciting 720p handheld gaming action, this time with a prettier screen. Yay. <sighs> what is next? Ooh. I've never heard of this sure. brand. Yeah. Forza? Neo Forza? Is it Forza? Yeah, Forza? they just came out a couple of months ago. And where are the RGBs? I yeah, ask. why isn't this lit up? Dude, this is, this is, these guys are bargain basement. They have, uh, what, what Opez, OPEC, I can't remember the, uh, oh, oh no. the actual, something, the ICs? No, 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 no. Real. Who, who? Olaf, oh, I okay. why can't I remember the dims from a new egg? If it was a real bargain basement, the PCB yeah, wouldn't be black. Below. It would be well, green. Maybe black is the new green. Maybe it's just like... Oh, okay. All right. I'm willing to accept that. I don't really know. I haven't... I have Survey says. a new green... Are, are all the DDR5 modules going to be black or no? Like, I saw some JDEC ones that were black. Yeah, Olo... Uh, Alloy. Or Alloy. Alloy. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Thanks, so I, Kent. I, I guess the, uh, the the story here is that they don't have any uh, RGBs. Is that what this is? And, and they're reasonably quick based upon the numbers. These timings are not bad. Okay. This one kit that uh, Tech Power Up looked at 32 gigabytes, 2 by 16, 4,400 megahertz, 19, 26, 26, 46 timings at 1.45 volts, which uh, that's not the tightest timings ever but still well for 4400 now that i don't like hockey anymore oh sorry bastards uh no 19 is actually kind of ridiculously good i have 3600 kits uh would come with that and i mean you know for your intel system it's brilliant because it really does like that uh high frequency AMD, you know, not quite so much. No. Uh, they, yeah, no, because it's, it's they, and they did run it at, at 4,400. Yeah. So, but then yeah, again, wait, wait they tried overclocking it, and apparently 
these guys actually pretty much pegged this as good as it can go and picked ICs that don't really do tighter timings yet lower uh, frequencies. They also had to bump oh. the voltage up a little bit. Uh, but yeah, they could literally do the same thing. There was no headroom, period. And that was dropping it down to 3600 and using the Ryzen memory tool. Huh. Okay. So yeah, uh, apart from latency-heavy stuff, there this is actually a, a pretty impressive uh, pair of DIMMs. My, and I looked at... And a, no RGBs. I looked at a 4400 kit a little while back. I think it was... Um, who was it? It wasn't Patriot. Are you sure? G-Skill? Was it G-Skill? It was, no, it was Guile. The, Guile, that's right. Oh, there you go. The, the uh, Orion, which I was mispronouncing for some reason. Uh, really? The Orion kit, because it was 4400 cast 18. But again, I mean, this it, there's no reason... To run 4400 on an Intel, or I'm sorry, on a um, AMD platform because AMD, it, AMD. it puts the Northbridge frequency at 1100 megahertz. Yeah, it clocks down. Yeah. So the performance was actually worse, and and everything except for just straight up ADA memory benchmarks. Yeah, you'd see higher numbers, but then if you actually did anything else, a 3600 low latency kit like that Trident Z Neo, Neo that was cast 14, it's crazy was significantly outperforming it. It was near the bottom of the list just because you're, you're running the, the F-Clock so low. So don't do it. Not on an AMD platform. Run 3600, cast 18 or lower. You'll be very happy. CL16 stuff is still pretty uh, reasonable price. That's CL14, yeah. though. Yeah, CL14, yeah. yeah, you pay way, way more for that. CL16 way in this more. kit was like $100 less, I think. It's... it's and then, and the, the difference is amazingly uh, similar to uh, just general errors in testing. Yeah, yeah. It again, synthetics will show a difference, but yeah, in real life, I don't think you're seeing much of a difference between like 15 and 16, 14 and 16, maybe like your seven zip stuff. Anyway, uh, yeah, another 4400 megahertz AMD option. We pretty much have to put AMD on the package now, I feel like. Again, because that's where the enthusiasts are. Oh. When, yep. when these processors were popular, these slot A's, <laughs> uh, people were not jumping up and down excited about the Pentium 3. They were going out and buying this because it was cheaper and faster for gaming and doing the kinds of things that they wanted to do. And outside of well, optimized for Intel stuff. It was just faster in general. And they were always no, a it, speed grade above Intel throughout that entire yep. time. Intel would release a 650, AMD would release a 700. Uh, you know, the only time that, that uh, Intel did that differently was the uh, Pentium 3 1133, which was disastrous for them. I think yeah. they actually had 1,000 to 2,000 processors in the wild. And plus, when you tried to compile on Linux, it would just die. Yeah. And so, yeah, the the one gigahertz Pentium three was the fastest, and AMD got to one gigahertz faster, but they well, faster I, overall product. And this was when they were bragging about having significantly more MIPS than than the P three was. Yeah. Because not only were they faster, they were far more efficient. Yeah. The P three was a bit of a dog, if if you don't get what we're saying. Audacity. People were up up in arms about Audacity because of um, privacy. Their policy. audacious behavior. Yeah, 
This is they kind of came out used. that they were selling user data and kind of you know that. Well, how do you get user data? That means you're logging user data and then selling it. So the Muse Group now says this is backtracking, of course, after the backlash that it won't sell the quote very limited end quote user data it will collect as being reported on Engadget here. They're the new owner, this Muse Group of Audacity. You know, I thought Audacity was open source. What you happened? Know, it, it it kind of so did a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so did a but lot of the, people. A lot of this, what they had put into this privacy policy, actually flies into the face of some of the typical open source licenses that people apply to a lot of these projects from from the GNU Foundation. You can't do this sort of thing. The thing that they were advertising that they were going to do in their privacy policies, such as, hey, here's the data we're going to collect on you. And, and, you know, we're going to share it with everybody, you know, basically with some weasel wording around who they were not going to share it with. And, you know, they could share it with anybody. And it was just terrible. I mean, a lot of the community was like, we will not stand for this. And there's several legitimate now backed forks. Well, they did say fork you. They did. And then they did. They, there are several legitimate forks out there now. I don't know what's going to happen to them. I think they're probably going to still move forward on them because apparently yeah. the Muse group cannot be trusted. Just my personal opinion. Uh, Give it six months. Everyone will have forgot about it and we'll just sneak it in again. I'm an Audacity user. So, so am I. I'm like, well, which version should I not upgrade to? Is it too late? Do I already have the one that's spying on me? Not are you, do you like the throwback look to its god-awful user interface? That hasn't that's a really good question. It's, it's a clunky, um, poorly optimized I've, program. I've gotten used to it. Right, but I think the only reason anybody uses it is because it's free. Speaking of software challenges. Yeah, PFSense. This mm. is over at Serve the Home. There's a new version. Uh, 2.5.2 of PF Sense CE. What is the CE? Uh, That's the community edition. Okay. That's the the open source one. Gotcha. The the pro version, they they sort of forked off and it's, you know, a little pay a little bit more, but get a lot more support. But there's a frustration for early adopters and the, the, the real kicker about PFSense is that chances are this is the type of person you are if you've rooted your router and are running PFSense. At 2.5, or, or sorry, just before 2.5, they were offering optional support for WireGuard. And so you could kind of bundle it in there and such. But as of 2.5, they realized, nope, we, we bit off a bit more than we were ready to chew at the moment. So we're going to back off on WireGuard support. You're way too kind. I was trying to, It's a disaster. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it was a CF. Uh, So anyways, uh, in 2.5.2, they've added back WireGuard support as an experimental add-in. But as Brent was a little bit more honestly describing the situation, they realized trying to do an in-place upgrade from someone who did 2.5 with the optional stuff to 2.52 with the new optional stuff that we're sort of going to support is just not a good move. No one is going to be happy at all. Uh, so a lot of the people who are wanting to upgrade, you got sort of two choices. You get to rebuild your wire guard from scratch uh, and do a clean install, or you could sort of, you know, get around the whole reason you're doing this 
and try and apply it through like OpenVPN or another uh, software like that, where that's where WireGuard is going to be sitting. So easier, but for a purist, you know, that's a little nauseating, as I'm sure Brett will agree. Oh, yeah. This is usually good software. Oh, totally. They made it. They made a big mistake. Yeah, they did. Oh, too early. And the the code quality was poor. I think that yeah. that's generous. And that was horrible because both programs before were very solidly coded. But you put them yeah, together, I and think it there wasn't was some peanut butter and chocolate. It was there. There may have else. been some management changes there. If I remember the story, and I think the uh, person yeah. who. Who got the um, who got the nod to do the WireGuard integration into the code base um, made a lot of mistakes, if I remember correctly. Sounds like they did. I mean, really obvious security kind of mistakes, real bad coding errors and stuff like that. Yeah. A bellows cooled PC. What? What is this? It's breathing. This is how they used to cool PCs back in the Dark Ages. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is how air conditioning so, used to work. They, yes. they would have a high Josh and a low it. pressure area done by bellows. Okay. And the entire the bottom high of the pressure area case here. was cooled off, and the low pressure area, of course, expanded and by itself just cooled. And that's why you got early, early air conditioning. Is there a that video of this working? Bellows. Yes. Video uh, oh, if you follow the hack a day, and they they run the uh, air that's coming being forced up and over the components over a radiator, hmm. or, so you've got a, a, essentially a reverse water cooling going. And they've set up all sorts. Uh, <laughs> it, like it is more or less self-contained. They've set up a bunch of uh, baffling so that the air is not getting sucked in from the externals. Uh, except, you know, to sort of keep the, the, the pressure relatively equal, which you can see by the, uh, or at least you used to be able to see it by the water pressure jumping up and down there. Oh, yeah, I see it. So it, it's just a, a, a wonderfully wild idea. Uh, you know, just so you've got this water-cooled radiator where the, water, the, the already, as Josh told you, uh, once they force the expansion, the air cools down, over it goes, and back down again. And they, they did it uh, via a bit of hydraulics and neodymium magnets. <laughs> and they, they'd already built a bellow system just to prove that you can do it with magnets. And apparently halfway through about the build, the bellows system that they did uh, cracked and, and broke. So they had to redo it. And the tubes that they had the magnets in weren't quite the exact same uh, diameter. So he ends up electroplating the uh, neodymium magnets to make them just a little bit bigger so that they slide properly through everything. So yeah, it's, it's quite the build process. But I, I looked at that and I'm like, I mean, it takes up some space, but good no, grief. it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of uh, worth it. Them. It's pretty big. Is it silent, though? No. Okay. It will not. It's not bad. What's the point? I guess just to do it. I, all you're going to be hearing, <laughs> essentially like having Darth Vader lung. sort of next to you. Yeah, it is an old iron lung for crying out loud. Yeah, this is. I feel like we've talked about this before, haven't we? Uh, didn't John no. bring this up at one point? The total conversion mm-hmm. thing. No. Yes, or? but not, but not this one. Not yes. Tie Fighter. So these are the same guys that did the update to X-wing Alliance, which is what the 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 game you need to own to be able to play this. 
so what they did is make X-Wing Alliance upgrade uh, with huge visual effects. Uh, the cockpits were totally redone, and they added a little bit of their own sort of uh, spices to it. But, oh, come on, TIE Fighter was just an amazing freaking game. Uh, so, yeah, that's what it looked like. You were just Read keeping the peace. You weren't yep. the evil people. Well, but that was your cockpit, and that right. those were the graphics. So if you and jump the, just a little bit further, unless you want to keep watching. No, that's okay. I'm just noticing that they put a little bit of a uh, filter on this. They're adding um, yes. scan lines. Anyway. Well, so it's, now it's a bit better. It this bit looks better. a wee bit different, and sounds and they and, and yes, sounds so much different. So what they did is they took the original, they added in the two expansion packs and a bunch of their own missions to weigh in at around a hundred and forty-five missions from this free mod, which all you need to own is X-wing Alliance, which is like. Three bucks right now because of the Steam Summer Sale, or ten bucks normally anywhere else. So because it's free, Disney's well, not going to shut this down. Uh, Disney will try, uh, but they didn't ever own Lucas Arts at that point. Hmm. Interesting why, loophole. Why did George have to sell? A very quick mention of a review that went up this week on the site: a pair of uh, gaming headphones. From Epos. Now, you may know Epos is the company that took over the Sennheiser brand. They bought it, or at least a division of it. Now they do all the gaming headsets. So for a while, it was co-branded Epos Sennheiser. I think it's just Epos now. But there, this is the GSP-602, and the 602 and 601, are uh, they differ because of the colors. This is The one that I have is the alternative kind of color. It's a dark metallic navy with what they call brandy-colored ear pads. They're basically brown. It looks like brown leather with navy, which is, you know, it's, it's not a bad look. I'd be worried if my brandy was that color. I have the headset right here. So depending on your lighting and the situation, it's going to look almost black. But in bright lighting, you can see that it's actually dark blue. The ear cups look sort of orange in that light. Yeah, they, like they are pretty much orange. Um, I tried to do... The color correction with these photos to make it match what I saw under this studio lighting, but the uh, let's see a picture of the ear pads. They're pr- they're pretty much light brown. Yeah, it looks like a nice leather actually. Yeah, but they're not. They're like a simulated leather. It's good padding level. The headband pad is is a little bit thicker than average. Not as cushy as the ear pads. Those are really cushy. Hey, what, wasn't Luke's leather jacket at the end of uh, the New Hope that uh, same color brown? Very when they close. went up to the award ceremony? Yeah, the throne room yeah. scene. Yeah, it is. I, I really thought that, uh, I don't know, it really reminded me of, some of them reminded me of the old original Battlestar Galactica. Uh, yeah. D- don't style. Make, those were yeah, really the, the arms. Now. Yeah, the arms. No, it reminds, <laughs> well, Sebastian, you've had the small child, you you also recognize that color. Usage impressions. Now, quickly uh, running over the specs a little bit. The, these are, uh, they claim 10 to 30,000 hertz. They don't give a plus minus on that, so who knows what the dB range of that is. Impedance is 28 ohms, and sensitivity is 112 dB. But they're pretty sensitive 
and easy to drive. So that's good. Because these are a 3.5 millimeter analog headset. Not wireless. And it, it, they sound really, really good. Now, the, the price on these, the list price is $219. You're thinking like $219 Sennheisers, basically, which now EPOS, but they should sound good. Well, they do. They have very, very good bass. Good dynamic, punchy kind of sound. Very good lower bass. Very clear sounding, but have that kind of scooped sound where there's a lot less mid-range presence. So vocals are kind of back in the mix a little bit. And I found the sound quality in general to be excellent. And then even the microphone quality is above average. Gave it the old gold award because I was having a little bit of trouble at 219, especially considering how good their wireless GSP-370s are. These sound better than the GSP-370s, but the GSP-370s are wireless and 199, so $20 Mm -hmm. more. Anyway, they're down to 149 now. And it doesn't appear to be a sale. I thought at first it was a, a sale price, but it's wow, just listed that's, as one. That's cheap. That's like a price of the uh, SR uh, one twenty five. Seventy one. Different, different thing. Yeah, I know. And one's cheaper than the other. Yeah, it, comparing them to the Grados, the Grados would have less bass, more mid range presence, would be better for music. I think more accurate sound, but these are closed back headphones with a boom mic so i mean it's definitely different yeah, use case different market if, if you're more of a bass head these are great even for just music listening the only thing i didn't really like about them is as you can kind of see this is a pretty chunky looking design here as i switch to the wrong camera uh it's really the clamping force on them is pretty intense so not super intense but when I adjusted them and had them on my face, this is like, a, I would easily say this is about a 7 out of 10 for like pressure against the sides of your head. So for somebody like me who's a delicate flower and likes a, a medium clamping force, uh, after a while, the headphone pushing against the side of my head was a little annoying. I could break these in. There's, you know, what I've usually done is I get a bookshelf speaker and I just plant these against the shelf, like the bookshelf speaker for a few days, stretch out the headband a little bit. But good quality headset. Hey, they look robust. They are very robust. No. You can yeah, just solid headband. snaps it. Bang. I know. It's like, bam. Oh, no. They're pretty heavy. These are 14 ounces. So, but listen, there's no. No plastic creaking of any kind. You can hear the, the clicks for the adjustment, but no creakiness. Very. That's kind of like those easy SMX headphones I reviewed years ago. I mean, they're essentially indestructible, which is why I gave them to my son. They still sounded good, and they're like 25 to 30 bucks. But yeah, you couldn't break them. I mean, you could, but you'd have to try really hard. All right. Are we ready for picks of the week? Yes, ma'am. Josh, I guess I'll go first. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've mentioned these before in the past, but I thought I'd do it again because only this past weekend did I finally pare down my four terabyte game drive down to below two terabytes. And then I transferred all the games over to this, uh, this Mushkin uh, Pilot E two terabyte NVMe drive. And they go anywhere from 189 to 220. They kind of stay in that range. And let me tell you, 
the actual loading performance difference is is stunning because I, I previously had a Toshiba 7200 RPM, 128 meg cache, uh, four terabyte uh, drive that would you know it would max out at 200 uh, 220 megabytes per second, and uh, yeah, I was you know playing uh, Dirt Rally 2.0 and sometimes the load times on that is a little annoying, not annoying anymore when you've when you've got NVMe running. I mean it was just smoking i mean usually you'd sit you'd be able to kind of look at the course when the dots would pop up where the waypoints are it couldn't even go and and pop up all the waypoints before you were loaded up so it it's a fantastic drive for not very much money and if you have a game drive if you want a game drive get one of these i mean they're relatively inexpensive they're around 10 cents a gig and uh yeah you're uh your load times just disappear and your overall performance is, I mean, you're not going to gain frames per second in, in most things, but you know, there could be areas where, you know, you're, you've got some dynamic loading going on in the background that you'll see some improvements and uh, you know, certainly going from, you know, nothing to a full level, it's four times faster easily. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice thing to get if, if, that's important to you and you got space on your machine and yeah yeah it's great it's not horribly expensive so it's fast it's nice get one now it's nice buy one today jeremy your pick they have come or at least returned briefly to canada uh i put up one just so that you'd have a nice link to go to straight but uh, I have noticed that there are 6700, 6700 XTs, the occasional 6800 and 6800 XT in stock in Canada at uh, Memory Express. Now, you can't cool. order them online. You do have to show up in person. Wait, there, there, there isn't a 6700 vanilla. Oh, sorry, you're right. 6700 XT, yeah, anyway. 6800, 6800 XT. <laughs> And the prices for Canada are not artificially inflated as you are seeing on Amazon and everything else. Only $1,064.99 Canadian. Yeah, which is, is pretty much MSRP. But What's yeah, you scroll down and you click dollars. on availability and just click on the select a region. Okay. And we'll see how many are left. Yeah, just click there. Look, not just one or two. 10 plus and hmm. memory express does 10 plus they, they do one through 10 and more than 10. Okay. So they're there. If you see this and you need one, go now, spend a little bit yeah, of time that, or, or still, just for a 6,700. That's still 800 bucks as for a $499 MSRP price. I mean, it's not, uh, insane. it's not insane mind, but it's, it's not there yet. Yes, but I get you, but at the same time... It's less than $1,100, $1,200 Canadian, which yeah. is what they've been going for. Yeah, and our pricing isn't exactly the same. It's not just direct conversion, which is yeah. why sometimes I, I might buy cards in the U.S. and bring them back. Anyway. But yeah, no, those, are, those are decent prices, and they're there. Uh, NVIDIA fans, well... Uh, Either make a choice or just sit and wait, because, yeah, we're not seeing many of them yet at all. 
All right. Brett, you have a pick? I do, and this is something a little different. It's uh, if you're a technical person or you've got uh, you want to, um, to build a model or maybe you want to have something to do with the kids, this is actually a cool thing that sort of combines those things. These are laser cut wooden knockdown kits that assemble them, you know, when assembled, create these 3D models that actually operate. Um, with gears or, or moving pieces, and they're actually kind of fun to build. I've been building one, I've, that Marble, Marble Madness one, or that Marble Run one with one of my kids here over the last couple of days. It's, uh, it's really interesting uh, how it all fits together, and it is a lesson in, uh, in engineering and ingenuity and how stuff and fits patience. together. And, and yeah, a little bit of patience. patience uh, uh, it, they're actually... No, they're actually fairly sturdy. Uh, there's been very little breakage. Uh, surprise, little. the amount of abuse. Yeah, <laughs> there was only one, only one piece that that actually are there uh, any got spare in pieces it. in this? Yes, there are. Oh, good. Yes. Okay, and the prices are, are not some, that bad. Actually, as no. complicated as these are, for as as intricate as these may appear to be, and they are, um, and the functionality that that you get out of them is like, oh, this is never going to work. And you snap everything together and you put it all together. And like, I cannot believe how smoothly this operates. Really? It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. It's actually sort of fun. For audio listeners for these things. They uh, run about $50, okay. uh, some less, some a little bit more. Um, and they have things like uh, movie, movie cameras, marble movers, um, robots, um, clocks, just sort of, just fun things to build, and they, they look fantastic, even not moving. And it, it, it's an engineering marvel when you put it together. And so it's a fun project, if you can stand the details. <laughs> if you like pain, if you want to torture yourself with it's a million tiny parts. Like it's I not like that. It's not like that. I put together yeah. a little cut, like, wooden, like, balsa yeah. wood truck. It was, I had an operating, mm-hmm. oh, what did it have? It was like a dump truck for my son. It mm-hmm. was a pain in the ass. And of course he broke it in about an hour. So <laughs> this, that again. These sorts of things are not meant for the sub ten year olds. You want right, to yeah, maybe right around that age. Old. No, certainly not. But this is for maybe to get engaged with a project with a kid who is, you know, looking at uh, engineering of some sort or mechanics in, in such a way that they might find it interesting. All right. Um I can't I don't know where I have the thing I was going to use for my pick this week, but I'll, I'll use that next week if I remember. This week, Rookie I'll, excuse. I'll go to yeah. the shelf of stuff <laughs> behind me, because that's what's easiest. And I will select this for my pick of the week. If you're a retro hardware enthusiast, this is one of the more important uh, devices. This is the CT4390 it's one of the two Aww. revisions of the O64 Gold. <laughs> so this is there's there's O64s, there's O64s. This is the Gold. A couple different board revisions for this. I think one of them just had slightly more integration. It might be this one. But if you've heard sound, like DOS sound with say a daughter board, like a Wave Blaster, Wave Blaster 2, one of the many many different Soundboard options so, are out there. The Wing Commander. Anything that supported the Wavetable audio or even general MIDI, like uh, something that you could attach an external MIDI device, like one of the Roland devices or uh, Yamaha or something to the. And it, it has its own kind of sound, but it's so good 
that if you were an enthusiast and you wanted to use real hardware to play old games and you craved the sound of something like uh, a wave blaster board, which are almost impossible to find and insanely expensive, this becomes actually kind of a good value. Because <coughs> if you can grab one of these at a reasonable price, the sound from this is better than most wavetable daughter boards. And it, you know, it does the wavetable, does the sound blaster, sound effects, all that stuff. So they're great. I mean, I'm, I don't have to tell you if you're an enthusiast who would actually use one of these old cards. But Long time ago. Yeah. In a galaxy far, far away. It's probably the, the greatest <clears throat> ISA sound card ever made other than the Roland SCC-1 or whatever the card is that's basically a... Not a Turtle Beach fan, I see. Turtle Beach... They did ISA cards. They did, but I'm trying to think, because Turtle Beach had a um, a wavetable board, too, a daughter board. Uh, I'll have to... I'm not going to try to find it right here, but there's a YouTube I, channel I, that I've posted about in the past that has all of these. You can listen to them. I integrated an uh, 64 May have been an A32, but I think it was a 64 with... Uh, I built it for a, a friend of mine and uh, also got her a, uh, a rendition... V2100 oh. video card. Really? So it actually had you know reasonable Direct3D performance. I mean, not as good as Voodoo 2, but, you know, yeah. That's 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 the timeline of, of these uh, really interesting ISA sound cards. Okay, so the, there is a YouTube channel. It is called Wavetable Channel. It has all of 83 subscribers, myself included. Very exclusive <laughs> community yeah. of uh, people who will go to a channel like this, and literally, if you look in the timestamps, these are all the devices playing the exact same thing. This is playing Grab Bag from Duke uh, 3D, and you can Gosh. listen to it. Like, if I want to hear that in an A64 Gold, the CT4390 I was just holding, it's right there at the 12 minute and 39 second mark. Wave Blaster 2, compare it to the Wave Blaster 2. I have a Wave Blaster 2. The gold sounds better than the Wave Blaster 2, and the Wave Blaster 2 costs basically a mortgage payment. You can find <laughs> one. So it's like, it's... Uh, what so about the old IBM Aptiva? I mean, I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, that, that was a rebranded something or other, I think. The Aptiva, what was the Aptiva? Anyway, uh, I'll click on it. It was shite. The, uh, the look. Because you can see each thing. Yeah, it's the... Uh, the Aptiva is actually a rebranded crystal. So you can see the, the wavetable board. It's a crystal audio something or other with probably some, like, I don't know, one megabyte. That's crazy. That, two megabytes. That, but yeah. that just, that's, that's, that's a level of OCD I, I can't yeah. understand. What do you mean? But somebody does, and he's got 83 there's subscribers. Not a, <laughs> and there's not a single thumbs down on that video. Well, listen. <laughs> Until if, I find it and subscribe. If you are a hardware enthusiast and you are actually out there looking for parts, this is such a valuable resource. There are so few daughter boards in existence anymore. These things were True. trashed long ago. And you find They've all grown them. up and become motherboards. That's our show tonight. Thanks for watching, listening, both. Maybe. Uh, until next week, good night. Good night.